0: Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon and joining me on this very windy Wednesday afternoon in Middletown, Connecticut is coach Max Sass of the Pratt Cannoneers. Coach, how's it going?
1: Great, man. It's uh for the second straight day in a row. It's uh over 50 here in Brooklyn, New York. It's been uh it's been very pleasant this week. So uh, I'm excited. It's it's a great time of the year with conference tournaments coming up, and the weather's starting to turn, so can't complain.
0: And now, I, I may not have my factory on this one, but the Pratt season has wrapped up, and you guys had a, had a pretty great season. I, was it 14 wins? Uh,
1: 15 and 9. 15 and 9. It was our most wins since 1978-79. Uh, it was our first winning season, actually, since that same year, 78-79. So Uh, We had our best season in 41 years. We won our first couple of uh, NCAA Division III games in over 25 years. Um, We had two all-conference guys. We had the league's leading scorer for the second year in a row. We led the league in defensive field goal percentage for the second year in a row. So, I'm really, really proud of what our young team accomplished. It was, it was, it was historical and very
0: exciting. That's awesome, and a big congratulations to you, coach, and everyone at Pratt. Big things. big things are coming in the future. I know you guys took on Jim Calhoun's team and you know, put up a good fight but who knows, maybe in a couple of years he'll be taking him taking him down. But yeah, we I
1: like to think that we were the ones who were out there preparing him for the NCAA tournament, but uh,
0: <laughs> we, we didn't put together a terrific full 40 minutes in that
1: game. Anyway,
0: anyway, on to the the discussion of what what We were planning to talk about today, which is we got some NBA talk before transitioning to the NFL combine. Coach Sass is an Ohio State superfan, and there's tons of Buckeyes in Indianapolis this past week who did some pretty remarkable things. Uh, but before we get into that, let's jump right into the NBA. So it's been about a month, month and a half of the Zion experience, and I haven't talked to you on the podcast since he's been healthy. What are your first impressions of Zion, the, the professional?
1: It's amazing. I love it. It is must-watch TV on League Pass every night when they're not on ESPN, which I feel like they are all the time now, which is tremendous. And, um, you know, certainly I, I enjoy watching Brandon Ingram's having an unbelievable year. Drew Holiday is a tremendous player, and I guess it's good that those guys are getting more screen time as well. But, Oh, my God. Zion is everything and more. There's no one built like him who plays like him in the league. The matchup against LeBron the other night was so fascinating. I mean, it clearly just showed the depth of the Lakers and how much better they are and how there's so few teams in the league who have a guy who can actually guard LeBron. But that's not what you were asking. What you were asking is Zion, and Zion is, you know, if the expectations were a 10 out of 10, he's proved to be a 12 out of 10.
0: Yeah, and I think it's really interesting that you mentioned that matchup against LeBron this past Sunday night, because and really they've played twice this week, but especially that that Sunday game, you could tell when LeBron really elevates his game in their regular season, and he only does it against a couple different opponents, and you could tell that he recognizes that Zion is next, and it almost felt like he was protecting his throne as the top guy in the league and telling Zion like, Hey, you might be awesome, but you still got a long way to go to, to catch me.
1: Yeah. And I think it was also, you know, LeBron's such a strategist. You know how in chess they talk about the masters are, you know, three, four moves ahead. I think LeBron was also trying to send a message to the Pelicans. Like we're the one seed right now. You're making your push for the eighth seed. Don't get too excited. Cause it's not going to last more than, you know, four or five games.
0: Right. Exactly. But, Speaking of of that game, I I joked around with with Kelly because now he's working at at the NBA. You know, did Kyle Kuzma file a grievance with the league because Zion stole his lunch money on <laughs> Sunday? And I, like I've never seen a, a you know a rook like it was it was unbelievable. It was every single time Zion got the ball, he was able to get exactly where he wanted to go, and it was almost like Kuzma was a chair in one of those draft workouts for him. That what would be
1: really interesting is to see who guards who in the playoffs if those two teams do end up matching up. I think the weird thing about LeBron is that you, you know they tried to guard him with Drew Holiday and it felt like LeBron just took him into the post and you know was yelling mouse in the house figuratively um, for the entire game and had one of his best games. But they go really big and so you almost are forced to match your three man up with him in order to keep javel off the boards in order to guard ad things like that but like zion feels like the best defensive matchup for lebron no i think or the, the guy who physically could at least keep him from beating you up in the post
0: yes that's that's definitely for sure but with the first time they played zion didn't do that poorly against davis davis has four or five inches on him so he'll be able to shoot over him but zion's strength at least with davis also in the post uh helps the pelicans because he won't be uh backed down so easily but the way that the the league works is it's that with so many switches is that it's so hard to get your preferred matchups and when you watch the pelicans because they're so young they have so many challenges defensively that i think yes. they would love to have zion guard lebron but the way that it's going to work in the playoffs is just that it's going to be Drew Holiday I think is going to guard LeBron and basically just make him take those tough fadeaway jumpers that LeBron's gotten so good at but just say if he's hitting those the way he was against the Raptors in the 2018 playoffs when the like the when he just dominated them with fadeaways you just live with that then letting Anthony Davis have 40 points a game you know in in the paint
1: yeah, it's an interesting trade-off, I think, that, you know, who was it? Alvin Gentry, right? Alvin Gentry's yeah. got to figure it out, and then he's got to determine, okay, do we put out a lineup where we have Derek Favors in there who can kind of rebound and, and guard a big guy, or do we play, uh, you know, a, a, a Melly-type guy who can really stretch the floor, and you hope that it opens things up for Zion to drive and, you know, uh, you know, maybe create more shots for J.J. Redick and... and you know, Brandon Ingram, and kind of open up the floor, and it'll be interesting to see how they try to counter, and then the game of, okay, then do the Lakers slide everyone up the spot and play AD at the five, LeBron at the four, and now you're matched up actually even a little bit better if you're the Pelicans, but offensively, you're, you know, the Lakers can guard a little bit better. I think it's going to be an interesting chess match that unfortunately is going to ultimately come down to the fact that the Lakers have two of the you know, five or six best players in the world right now on their team, uh, and the Pelicans don't. Though they have one ascendant, transcendent
0: player. Yes, I, yeah. the The Pelicans, I think, are two years away from really being able to to compete in in the West because Zion's going to keep growing, Ingram's going to keep growing, and Lonzo Ball has played very well this year. His shooting mechanics and his form are drastically better. I think he's over 35%. It just looks way better. He's really fast, and just him and Zion on the break and the way he can pass, and then obviously they have an all-star in Drew Holiday. As those guys grow together, I think it will be really interesting what happens to New Orleans going forward. But speak- And it's
1: funny watching those games. Sorry to cut you off, Dave, uh, but it's funny watching those games because it almost seems... Not that Kuzma's worse than Lonzo or Josh Hart, but it almost feels like those guys are better positional fits uh, for the Lakers right now than Kuzma is, who I think is kind of at his best as a small ball four. And they kind of need like a two or a one, that kind of thing, you know, or a shooter the Lakers do to complement their really big pieces. And I'm not sure Kuzma's the perfect complement, and they were just completely unwilling to yield on, on moving him as part of that trade. So it's just interesting to look at
0: yes i I definitely think that if the Lakers could do that trade again, they would have moved Kuzma and try to keep Josh Hart but because just because of the way Josh Hart could shoot just a catch and shoot guy but you know we'll see they yeah. they got their man in Davis and it may not matter who else is on the court when you have LeBron and Davis
1: excellent point <laughs>
0: but excellent point but so moving on, there's another team in the West I want to talk about who also has two, maybe not the five best players, but maybe two of the 10, 12 best players in the world right now. This is a team I was completely wrong on in the post-trade deadline, and that's the Houston Rockets. Uh, I'll be the first one to admit, I thought that this strategy of going super, super small was not going to work. I didn't think it was the right strategy. I thought it was bold, and I kind of liked it. We just respected them going all in on this, but I didn't think it would work. Uh, but they have proven me wrong. They've proven a lot of people wrong, and they are what are they like thirteen and three since since the trade deadline playing this style. It's been really really impressive,
1: including a hysterical loss to my New York Knicks. Oh yeah, which was awesome. But I, I think you know I think everyone kind of had this fear, and myself included a little bit, that they were gonna not that they were gonna bastardize the game of basketball in a way, but that it was just going to be this weird thing that looks so different from anything we've ever seen. And I- I'm curious to your opinion, David. It looks very similar to me. The only difference is that, you know, there's just no center. But it- it- they're playing the same way. It's still isolation heavy. It's still space the floor, shoot a crap ton of threes. I-, I mean, does the style of play feel different to you at all?
0: I actually kind of like it more watching them. And because I've watched a bunch of their games, I've watched a couple against Houston and, and that obviously that big Boston game, and it, I kind of like it because everyone's now on the same page, and there's so much space in the middle of the court that they just that, that that pretty much at all times they have three guys on the court who can get by their their matchup, three or four guys, and they're doing so much drive and kick that. I don't absolutely love watching forty-five three-point attempts, but it's not like they're taking terrible shots. They're driving and they're kicking and they ha- and they're hit- getting it to their shooters who are taking you know catch and shoot rhythm threes, or they're shoot. getting all the way to the rim, and not having Capella or another big just lets Harden and Westbrook and Eric Gordon and Austin Rivers and. Daniel House make very, very simple decisions. It's drive and shoot a layup or drive and kick out for a three.
1: I agree with you. I, and and I think there's going to be, you know, basketball purists or whatever the correct term is who, you know, they're still not. It's just as much isolation ball, but it just kind of has unlocked Westbrook in a different way because now he's the only non-shooter on the floor instead of being one of two. And I mean, oh, my God, has he been absolutely incredible um, since this move happened. And, and, you know, if Eric Gordon can start being better because he's not kind of lived up to that contract they signed him to so far this season, they have a chance. But I think also the nature of just getting used to it in a seven-game series is also a little bit scary because you wonder how consistent they can be uh, with this, frankly, high-variance system because that's what shooting so many three-pointers in isolations is.
0: Yeah, I, and... but. Also to, to that point is the way, uh, when you said that they've really unleashed Westbrook is that this is the part that gives me pause about how long okay. this work is Russell Westbrook is going to be left wide open for three. And it's he's going to be, you know, there was one play, I think it's the Celtics where he's shooting threes and the, the, the centers are guarding him and they're not even leaving the paint to go out and close out on him. So he's going to be way, w- w- super open. And as long as he keeps turning down those shots and just dominates the the mid-range area with uh, driving the basket and his little pull-up shots and kicking out they're going to be successful but I think it all depends on Westbrook being the best version of Westbrook and not g- going back to what he was b- b- at the beginning of the year and shooting tons of threes because he's all you know he's a great player but he's not a good three-point shooter
1: Agreed. But I think mentally he's kind of wrapped himself around this idea of, well, now I have to drive because yeah. there's bigger driving lanes or now I can drive, I should say, right. more frequently because there's bigger driving lanes. And I, I think it's sort of a, a challenge. And when you're an alpha like he is and, you know, you're going to be guarded potentially to start the game by Anthony Davis or, or you know, JaVale McGee when you're playing the Lakers in, in in that potential matchup, which we could see in the second round. And I think part of him is like, no, nah, I'm still going to take you to the rack.
0: Yeah. And, and he's been incredibly efficient, too. And that's been a challenge for Westbrook's career is the efficiency. But he's shooting a really high percentage because I think it's because they have so many shooters. It's just one-on-one in the paint. And he can score on anyone at the rim. Yeah.
1: And I don't have the numbers. Um, I wish I did in front of me. I'll kind of sort of uh, stall and Google, but I think that, um, so here it is. Since Capella played his last game on January 29th, uh, Houston has a 118 offensive rating, second best in the league, and um, I want to see, it feels like Westbrook has been shooting more free throws. Since the trade, he's only shooting 2.43 per game. 2.4 three-pointers per game, which is almost two full threes per game less than he was before the trade. Um, And he's shooting over 15 shots within 10 feet, which is up from just about 11 shots uh, within 10 feet. So, I I mean, it really has unlocked him.
0: Yeah, and this is the Westbrook that I fell in love watching in Oklahoma City. And I am kind of really happy that he's back because I just love watching this version of Westbrook. And it's as you said, it's it's the swagger to his game of being the alpha that he is, of coming out and seeing, oh, Daniel Tysis guarding me or, or oh Rudy Gobert, the disrespect. I'm gonna just torture this dude for the thirty four minutes I play. It's a lot yeah. of fun to watch. <laughs>
1: that's such a great part of his game. It it's awesome. It it's and we're going to see so many different matchups on him at the um at the end of at the end of playoff games that it's going to be so fascinating.
0: I totally totally agree with you and it'll be interesting to see as you said, I think they could keep this up in the regular season as it's such a tough one-off weird game strategy-wise to play and it'll be interesting to see if, if in a 7-game series what teams do to Counteract this because Houston is forcing teams to match up to them, which I think and is how many
1: different things they would try to counteract it yes. over
0: the course of the series. Yes, 100%. So, I want to talk about three more point guards. There's a segment called Point Guard Talk. Uh, three point guards. One, the, the first one I want to talk about is it seems like for whatever reason Utah has played a lot of really good teams recently. They've played obviously the Rockets. So I've watched those games and the Celtics and the Nuggets. The Jazz made a splash in the offseason trading for Mike Conley on, as well as signing Bojan Bogdanovic. But it was the Mike Conley trade that everyone said, okay, this is the one that can really put them in the top tier of the West. They have an all-star caliber point guard, and he has not lived up to that. He's taken a nosedive this season. And he's no longer, in my opinion, a starting point guard in the NBA.
1: Well, Quinn Snyder agrees with you because he's not starting him anymore. He's decided that the Donovan Mitchell, Joe Ingles, Royce O'Neal, Bogdanovich, Rudy Gobert lineup is a better starting and, frankly, closing lineup. Yeah. Um, They have just as many, you know, they have plenty of creators. You know, Ingles and, and Mitchell obviously are both terrific creators for others and themselves. And... They feel like they're better defensively, uh, especially with Royce O'Neal on the floor. And when they changed the lineup to take Royce O'Neal out, it was kind of uh, confusing on who was getting the, the best wing on the other team, and I think that was really throwing them off a little bit. And, and so, Neil's kind of that glue guy that they really need in those lineups. Yeah. Uh, and they don't have a true four who can play the five, you know, if you wanted to sort of downsize against a Rockets-type team, which, again, is a whole other discussion, but... Um, it it feels like you can't take Donovan Mitchell off the floor. That's a no brainer. He's your best player. Yeah. So it's like it ultimately is going to come down to, um, it's going to ultimately come down to Ingles versus Conley and Ingles has been playing better.
0: And it's, and it's so interesting to watch too, because they're obviously going to give him a lot of rope because. He's a all, He was an all-star caliber player, a big acquisition, big contract. And it's amazing to watch once a guy can't create the same amount of space and loses that that, that little half step because it's kind of what's going on with Al Horford too. But to just watch how Mike Conn going to have to adjust his game and become a much, much better three-point shooter because when he drives to the basket, he's not creating the space to get off his little floaters. Anymore. Yes,
1: and those floaters again. We talked about high variance things before. The floater feels like a very high variance shot, and yeah. if you're not going to make it at a high percentage, you know what? You got to be able to do something else. And and Kyle's just frankly hasn't been great all around this year, no. and I think that's the bigger issue, aside from not making his kind of trademark floater.
0: And then, and then, as you said, it's we. It seems like the Jazz have result, r- resorted to we can't take Donovan Mitchell off the court. And Donovan Mitchell was criticized last season, especially in the postseason, of being a ball hawk and being so focused just on his shot and not being a great creator. That gives me pause, too, about this team going forward is how competitive can the Jazz be in the playoffs if, as Donovan Mitchell as their best player?
1: Well, I think Joe Ingles solves that problem in a lot of ways. I think Joe Ingles is is a tremendous creator. He's tremendous out of the pick and roll um, I was actually worried at the beginning of the year because I think it was Derek Favors, right, who was kind of his guy that they were yeah. running second unit pick and roll with at such a ridiculous percentage. But he's figured it out. Ingles has really been scorching hot when – what was it, that first segment when Conley got hurt? Ingles was playing as an uh, you know a massive creator for them and was very, very effective. So I think the toughest part for Quinn Snyder is going to be taking a very respected veteran like Mike Conley – and maintaining chemistry while slashing his minutes.
0: Yeah, that that's a great point and a very coaches uh, very <gasps> coach answer too.
1: <laughs> Thanks.
0: <laughs> so, so the next point guard I want to talk about is Chris Paul, and because the second
1: best point guard on his team. Right. No, I, I mean, I'm sorry, of <laughs> kidding, but I'm not kidding.
0: Right? Because Shea gillis Alexander has been phenomenal this season. Uh, Unbelievable. He was very good last year, and he's really taken a leap in. I always pause before crediting these guys for mentoring their younger players because how much is Chris Paul mentoring SGA? Because if SGA is going to take his job, like it's like how much was Brett Favre mentoring Aaron Rodgers, you know, uh, or Brady Jimmy G when it's like <laughs> the next in line, right? Exactly. But the Thunder are playing really well this season. Everyone kind of wrote them off this off season after the Paul George and Russell Westbrook trades. Uh and well as you said, it's a large part of that is SGA being awesome, Danilo Callinari in their wings playing really well, Steven Adams, but Chris Paul is when he, it's a reminder of what he can do as the best player on his team.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It feels like Chris Paul has, for the first time in a number of years, gotten to go back to being the point god that he was kind of labeled at a younger stage in his career. And, and, you know, he didn't really get to do it with the Rockets, obviously, um, in the Dantoni system and with Harden dominating the ball. And even at the end of his, you know, LA spell, it sort of felt like they're playing through, like, Griffin a lot more. Not, not, Not the way the Rockets were playing through Harden, but it felt like things were just a little different from when Paul was coming up with the Pelicans and it felt like he, he didn't get a chance in these last five, six years, whatever it was before this to just be this absolute maestro alpha dog, old school kind of Jason Kidd, Steve Nash type point guard. I'm running this show. I'm the guy. And it, it's been so much fun to watch. It's he's actually gone from what, like the worst contract in the league to a legitimately tradable <laughs> asset now, But also a guy the funder might want to choose to keep remarkably. And part of the reason they might might want to keep him and to go back to the coaching thing is Billy Donovan is doing a ridiculously good job this year. He needs to be in the coach of the year discussion. And he's figured out how to play a three-point guard lineup. Yes. And keep guys happy. That's – I mean kudos to him. That's absolutely outstanding.
0: Yes. And – it's interesting because I still think that the Thunder would get off the Chris Paul contract, especially, as you said, because SGA is taking so much of a leap this year if the opportunity presented itself to get off the, the 40 whatever million for, for Chris Paul. Right.
1: right,
0: But it's also, if they make the second round of the playoffs, after trading Paul George and Russell Westbrook, I think Sam Presti is an executive of the year discussions. Billy Donovan is in the coaching their discussion and Chris Paul should get like third place MVP votes and should be in consideration for second team all NBA
1: I agree with that you know the tough thing for me was Sam Presti and I, yeah I'm picking next but this team clearly needed another wing yeah. if they wanted to go out and actually make some noise in the playoffs. Like, Who said they couldn't have done what Portland did last year and make a run to the Western Conference Finals or something if you catch the right teams on the wrong day? And they didn't make that move. And I get they're so focused on the future, but then they also didn't move off Gallinari's expiring. So I'm just a little bit confused as to what their game plan is. Are they going in to win now, or are they continuing that you know long look down, the road because if they are they're not going to re-sign Gallinari maybe they sign and trade him and then they still try to flip Paul's contract but if they re-sign Gallinari this summer it's going to be interesting to look at and say you have so many picks you have more picks than you can actually use why not try to flip a decent asset to get another wing to compete a little bit more in the Western Conference this year and not speed up the process but kind of lean into the magic you have right now.
0: I I agree with you, and I think part of it was because who really was available at the, at the deadline from a wing perspective? Uh, does, well,
1: Malik Beasley got moved. He's yeah. been unbelievable for the Wolves.
0: Yeah he he was he was the guy because I don't think Marcus Morris moves the needle at all for for you, and probably hurts your team chemistry more than it helps. But I I don't know as as you said the the Thunder with all those assets, it's. It's like – it feels a little Danny Ainge-ish that they have all these assets, but they don't know if they should use them for this guy because it feels like they're waiting for someone else to be unhappy and make a move like they did to go get Paul George. Like I think they're waiting for Bradley Beal Beal or someone else to come out and say that they're unhappy and – go pick them. Like if Aaron Gordon comes out and says, I want to be traded, I think they could go get him or towns is obviously That's... the guy who's talked about a lot, but the, that, that'll be, well no, a, now he a, has
1: D'Angelo Russell. So he's right. happy for the time. being.
0: You know, he'll be happy winning 22 games a season, but, <laughs> but like, but I think it's, I think they're waiting for that next guy to be able to swoop in. Cause they have all the picks and kind of come out of nowhere. They wait the way they did for, for Paul George. But I think it'll be very interesting going forward, as you said, with the Gallinari, because this off season will be, are we going forward to try to compete, or are we going to go all in on, on, on the young guys?
1: And also, do you feel like Chris Paul and Dennis Schroeder, who's the third point guard they've been playing, are stifling the development of Sheik Yogi's Alexander or not? Because if you feel like they are, then you need to do everything in your power to take those guys away and bring in assets that would be better around sga but if you feel like they're good mentors and guys who are helping sga then keep
0: them because he's the future that's a great point that's a great point so the last point guard i want to talk about we can talk it won't take very long to talk about this but steph curry breaks his hand at the beginning of the season he's been rumored that he's eyeing a comeback early march it is now early march he went down to the g league and did a full practice do you think Steph Curry should return this season? Uh, the Warriors have from, the worst. From what
1: perspective? From yeah. what perspective? Because I think that there's sort of the Sam Hinkie, very analytical perspective of no, why would you give yourself a better chance to win games? But then you also have the perspective of from your long term outlook, you're going to sell more tickets. But you're also, you know. Steph Curry's a competitive dude. Like he probably wants to be on the court and compete and, yeah. and get his rhythm back. So I, I you know, I think I think that side of it is worth it. But having said that, it could move you down the draft boards.
0: And but yeah, so the Wars have the worst record in the NBA. Uh obviously if Steph comes back, they will start winning more games. And I think it's interesting you mentioned the rhythm because Besides for the coronavirus fears, which we will not talk about on the podcast as neither one of us are qualified to talk about <laughs> you know respiratory illnesses, the Olympics are planned for this summer, and if if Steph wants to go and make the team and play because i don't because Steph hasn't had a gold medal yet because he didn't play in 2016.
1: I think Steph could walk in there. The day after surgery and if he says i want a spot they're giving him a spot Um, um, you know he can play basketball i don't think it's so much he needs to prove his form but i think it could be about his self-confidence going in and how many crunch time minutes he's
0: playing in the gold medal game i think that could be affected yes i'm not saying that it's
1: also impossible to say maybe he just wants to rest maybe he's you know who knows
0: I'm not saying that this month will be his tryout for the Olympic team, but I think it's interesting you mentioned the rhythm of just, he hasn't played basketball in four months, just coming out so that his first games aren't the little exhibitions where they beat, you know, Puerto Rico by 80 points. It will be against NBA players just to get his rhythm back a little bit so that he goes into the USA basketball training camp and dominates. That's the only reason why I think he should come back. Because for the Warriors, it does absolutely nothing for them, except they just hope that he doesn't get more seriously hurt.
1: Right, and potentially tank their draft stock, or yeah, hurt e- their draft stock. E-
0: even though this this year's draft class isn't great,
1: right, but it also you know is a better asset and higher in the draft. So if you want to swap it for something, or you want to move that second round pick, which. You know, was who had the second round pick? Oh, the Ma- uh, was it the Mavericks who had their second round pick and they didn't move? Yeah. Yeah, that was interesting.
0: All right. So, enough NBA talk. We've got through a lot. Now it's time for the switch sports. We're going to go over to the NFL, the draft combine, one of my favorite and least favorite events of the year. I think that there's value in it, but I also think that there's a lot of things that should be changed to make it even more valuable uh personally i want to see everyone run and throw with pads and helmets on i don't care how fast you can run your 40 in your underwear put on some <laughs> pads and run with the football like if you're a running back and you can run a 40 in your underwear at 4-4 but with pads and the ball you're at a four five one. that's a difference to me uh And I think the wide receivers do the catching drill should catch with their helmets on, like, you know, not in their underwear. But (laughs) uh, that's partially my criticism of it. Uh, I also think this is a new one for for me this year. I think the combine should be treated like a wedding in that when you get invited, you got to RSVP yes or no. And you got to do the whole thing. There's no just coming to the combine and not doing drills. It's... If you're coming, you got to do the whole thing because there's only a certain number of spots. Let someone if, – if, if you don't want to come because you don't want to run the 40 and you're going to run it at, at your pro day, I get you want to be there to interview. But those guys who are making those decisions can probably afford to fly to Indianapolis and do it on their own anyway. Let someone else get that invite so that they can perform in front of all the teams and the executives because that could be a real game changer for their draft stock you know?
1: It's an interesting point. I think that the, I think the part of the reason that these guys are running in compressions and tank tops instead of pads and stuff is because it's all about being able to sell to presumably the fan bases, but also to their coaches and their, you know, owners and GMs and executives kind of this upside, this idea that, well, look how fast this guy can be. Look at, you know, uh, Darius Hayward Bay can run this 4.340, whatever it is. No one's going to okay something that slows down the times because at the end of the day, what's the difference of running in pads if you're starting from a track start anyway?
0: Yes. And I that, that was something I, I mentioned last year too, is that don't start like you're going to run the 100-yard dash. Start as if you're... A wide receiver like you're lined up on the outside or a running back like you're lined up next to the quarterback and then go.
1: Yeah, but even the argument then, Dave, would be that, you know, what wide receiver is getting a free release 40 yards straight ahead? True. You, you know, I think, yeah. I think my point is that to make a change, it would have to be so much clearly, so clearly that much better. And I'm just not sure it changes anything. I'm not sure it changes anything. And I think it also throws off historical data, which is not necessarily a, a good reason not to change something, but you know, if you're whatever, you're looking at the running backs and you're trying to figure out if Jonathan Taylor compares to Zeke Elliott or whatever, and you're worried that they don't have breakaway speed or you know, the times just don't go apples to apples at that point. And yeah. and so historically I wonder if that's something evaluators are nervous about
0: there Fair point.
1: Having said that, I do think change is a good thing and I think I think your idea about kind of all or nothing is is pretty smart. Now the question is what if you're injured? What if you get injured? you know what if what if you can't do the bench press because you have an upper body injury, but you can still run or or you know, hey, you're planning on coming to the combine you're uh, the kid from Dayton, the tight end from Dayton that everybody loves, right? What if you pick up a knee injury, but you still want to interview? Or what if you're Lynn Bowden, who the kid from Kentucky, who clearly the interviews are going to be more important than the physical stuff for him because that's the knock. It's a character question, not an athleticism question. You, you, you know what I'm saying there? What if that kid gets hurt? Are you going to penalize him for that?
0: No, no, I, no. I just
1: if, think – and I know it's, you don't have it fully yeah. fleshed out, but I think there's a lot of kind of more important questions that need to be added on to this before you can – make this general change because i do think the idea of kind of all or nothing is a good idea but it needs to just be fleshed out a little bit
0: more i'm with you if if you go and you run the 40 and you tweak your hamstring you're not going to be sent home like it's not the bachelor where chris harrison comes out and you know <laughs> puts you in in a limo and sends you to the airport mckay becton the uh
1: louisville 6'8 yeah. 360 guy would he have gotten a rose from you dave
0: potentially he was he was <laughs> he was impressive but that
1: was amazing
0: but and you know there's obviously individual cases that, that you could make about everyone, but if your main concern is character personally, I want to see you do everything because if if the most important thing is the interview that's great, but I also want to see you do all the physical stuff too because I think that speaks to the whole character concerns too it's not the the physical stuff but it's can you do all the stuff that maybe you don't even need to really show, you know?
1: Yeah, that's a fair. That's a very fair point. That's a very fair point.
0: And so, but I'm, you
1: also then are probably losing the Chase Youngs and those guys because, and I, I think for the combine, they'd rather have them there even if it's just for interviews.
0: Yeah. Okay. But <coughs> I got you. But it's also like Chase Young's going to go in the top five no matter what.
1: Right. I agree with you. But so I, I guess I just wonder if teams would be pissed if they don't get to
0: interview Chase Young because the NFL said can't come if you're not running the forty. Right, but also how many teams? I guess teams... they
1: would interview him at pro day and things but, like
0: that. But also, how many teams is Chase Young really going to interview with? Like, is he going? Is is it even worth Chase Young interviewing with the Broncos, who I'm sure would be love to take Chase Young and might be thinking of training up for him, but. It's really Well, just... I think
1: that's the thing. A lot of it has to do with, you know, trades and things like that. It's, yeah. you know, if you're Chase Young and you grew up in Maryland and you've just seen what an absolute train wreck the, the skins are, you know, <laughs> you know maybe you're sitting there talking to the, I don't know, the Ravens or some other local team that you're like, oh, you know, they're running things really well. You think they could throw a package together for me? I, that's not the right team, but I I don't know.
0: All right, I'll, I'll put I'll, I'll put this one I'm back just in the oven and get
1: here, David. I think the yeah. points are, are excellent. I just think big sweeping change in a league that makes that much money is so challenging.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll put this one back in the oven and have, have some <laughs> fresh takes for next year's scouting combine. So love it. I, ironically, the part that I criticize is the fact that these guys come and they don't do things. Like Joe Burrow came and did measurements, and it turned out that his Which hands. His hands are nine and a half inches, nine and three quarter inches, and everyone freaked out. And this was my favorite part of the combine. I thought it was the most ridiculous part because it's like we finally found the flaw in Joe Burrow that people are going to talk about for the next two months, which is that the dude has, quote unquote, small hands.
1: And how awesome was Joe Burrow's tweet? Yeah. He tweeted, "Considering retirement after I was informed the football will be slipping out of my tiny hands. Please yeah. keep me in your thoughts." Good for him.
0: Like yeah. that's so awesome. That's you know, so awesome. You know, I didn't know you could throw 60 touchdowns and not have fumbling <laughs> issues with with small hands in the SEC, you know. That was the most ridiculous thing ever.
1: Yeah, I've been I've been so impressed Joe Burrow, he's just handled everything like a consummate professional. He's going to the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, the hand measurement doesn't matter. He's, he's a superstar. He's a stud. Everything he's shown, the tape is going to be a lot more important than the you know the
0: ruler across the width of his fingers. And now that AFC North, quarterback-wise, is going to be insane because you're going to have Burrow, Lamar Jackson, Roethlisberger if he comes back. And Baker, all of a sudden, is now the worst quarterback in that division.
1: Yeah, well, you could argue aging Roethlisberger too, but okay. it, it's it's still like you have this one kind of wily vet with these young guns. It's it's really fascinating.
0: Yeah. So after Burrow, we already mentioned Chase Young, but there's a lot of Ohio State guys in the top five. It's Chase Young and Jeff Okuda. I saw a headline today saying, "Is Jeff Okuda the perfect cornerback prospect?" And you that,
1: know, it, it's go that, ahead, go
0: ahead. That made me really excited because my New York Giants have the fourth pick, and it seems like number three is where someone's going to trade up for a quarterback. And
1: it's, well, unless the Skins are really going to take Tua, and then the Lions take Chase Young at three, and then all of a sudden you got all this other stuff that's on the table. I don't think that's going to happen, but that's the but, talk.
0: But it seems like the Giants will be in a position where they could potentially take one of these two Ohio State studs. So just talk to me about both of them.
1: I mean, Chase Young is just an absolute physical freak watching that guy. I mean, I think we've been through the numbers before on the podcast, so we don't have to rehash the numerical side of things. But in the biggest games, he came up absolutely enormous. Teams were game planning for him in a different way. I mean, the guys, offensive linemen, coaches, guys at Ohio State have pretty much said, hey, we've seen Joey Bosa We've seen Nick Bosa and this guy, Chase Young, is actually the best of the three, which is remarkable. Absolutely kind of petrifying for offensive linemen in the NFL to hear and think about um, his numbers. Chase Young's numbers would have been even better if he had been allowed to play against Rutgers and Maryland.
0: Because exactly. Of
1: that suspension. But I, I think that there's, I know I mentioned the suspension, but there's almost no character concerns with Chase Young. He's been incredibly healthy. He's been incredibly productive. I, he just seems like the – I find the flaw, Dave. Find the flaw. I, the flaw is that he's not a quarterback. Yeah. Right? <laughs> that's the only reason he's not going number one overall.
0: Yeah. The, the flaw is that he's just coming out in a year with Joe Burrow and Tua. That's – Right. That, that's really just it. And when you watch him, it's – he's a guy who can change a defense. And there's just not that many guys who – are, who? where that's being said about.
1: I agree with you. I, I think that I'm trying to think of a comparable product, and the only one I can think of is Nick Bosa yeah. <laughs> last year, who ended up being awesome. But Chase Young's actually probably got an even higher upside. He's a little bit longer. He's, he's longer like Joey Bosa, but he's got kind of that strength and power like Nick Bosa. I, I'm not saying he's going to be you know worlds better than those guys because those guys are all pros, but he's got a... People are saying he's most likely going to be the best of the three, which is just remarkable.
0: And you hope that he doesn't go to Washington because that situation is such a disaster. But it'll be – I don't know if he's escaping the number two slot. I have
1: to give credit to uh, my good friend and assistant coach, Derek Spinellis, who compared Chase Young to Jadavion Clowney with good technique. (laughs) So think about that level of athlete and height. So good one by Coach Spinellis there.
0: So so – Talk about Okuda for a second. Is he the perfect cornerback prospect?
1: I'm a New York Jets fan, and so I, I, you know, I, I rented apartments and condos on Rivas Island for uh-huh. a long time. So it's hard to say that, you know, Okuda's the quote perfect corner. But yeah, he's pretty darn close, David. I mean, I'll tell you what. Like I watched those Ohio State games, and every game this year, it didn't matter <laughs> who they were going up against. If the ball was thrown at number uh, at number one on Ohio State, uh, I felt pretty darn good that it was not going to be a dangerous play. Um, even in the Clemson game, you know, Justin Ross, T. Higgins, those guys are dangerous, and it just felt like the only success they had was going the other way. And, and you know, Damon Harnett's a good pro prospect too, but For Okuda sure. has a chance, and I actually think – is the best prospect come out of Ohio state in the past couple years in that secondary. And don't forget that includes Marshawn Lattimore. That includes, you know, Malik hooker. Don't forget safety. That don't includes Bradley Roby. Don't that forget Eli Apple. Yes.
0: Eli Apple. What we're
1: about to say, you know, those guys were all what top 10, 15 picks. Bradley yeah. Roby was a late first rounder, but, and I'm sure I'm forgetting somewhere, but, Okuda's the best of those guys coming out of college. Yes. I mean, he was trained by Jeff Halfley this last year, who was a longtime defensive backs coach for the uh, for the 49ers. Uh, Kerry Coombs was the guy who recruited him, who ended up having a very successful defensive backs coaching career at with the Tennessee Titans before coming back to Ohio State this offseason. I mean, he's long, he's range, his footwork is absolutely ridiculous. His ball skills are unbelievable. Watching Okuda, he didn't have a ton of interceptions because he didn't get thrown at a ton. But he, you look at his breaks and his roots and short work, he could almost actually be a, a wide receiver on the other end. I mean, he's so athletic. He was a five-star. He was the number one cornerback in the country coming out of Texas uh, the year Ohio State brought him in. I mean, what a coup for Urban Meyer and the Buckeyes. I and mean, it's going to be an unbelievable coup. Uh, not a Revis Island necessarily level coup, but if your Giants get him at four, if the Lions take him at three, I mean, you can essentially – uh, you know, with the exception of maybe the best or the second, you know, with the exception of hey, Michael Thomas, former Ohio State Buckeye, I'm not sure there's many receivers in the league that you can't cover one-on-one with Jeff Okuda.
0: And it's also he plays a position that's of utmost importance, which is you got to oh, be able to stop the pass. net na- na- nowadays, almost more so than 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 rush the passer. And it'll be interesting to see what a team does if the Lions, you know, if if the Lions, because the Lions played in a division with some good quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers, uh, Kirk Cousins, some good weapons on that team, Thielen and Stephon Diggs, Devontae Adams obviously on the Packers. If you get a Revis-type player potentially or a Richard Sherman-type player, that's that could be huge. But is there any other Buckeyes you, you want to mention who had a good combine?
1: Yeah, I think there's two guys that are pretty interesting that are going to be kind of mid- to late-round picks that I think are interesting guys coming out of Ohio State. The first is Malik Harrison. Malik Harrison is a freakish athlete at the uh, at the linebacker position, more of kind of an outside linebacker, but not your traditional rush-edge linebacker. I guess you could play in the middle as well. Uh, he's about 6'3", I want to say like 245. But if you go back, I know Henry Ruggs is making a lot of – news right now for his high school basketball highlights, Malik Harrison was a mid-major plus, low, a high-major minus basketball player coming out of, out of college. There's a good chance he was looking at Wisconsin for football and basketball uh, before Ohio State offered him and kept him in state to play football. He is a freak athlete. He has been the absolute most consistent guy on their defense for the past couple of years. Um, that linebacker group was not very good two years ago, and Harrison was really the only solid guy that that they had i mean he athletically he can cover in space, he can really tackle he can lay the boom, he can rush the passer he he's a really special guy, and the other guy is davon hamilton, the uh defensive tackle uh I think he actually had the the highest uh vert among all defensive tackles. I'm not sure how often you use that in an n f l game, but he's a guy that I think. Chase Young gets all the credit on that defensive line, but Davon Hamilton was just so good at pushing the pocket, um, you know, forcing quarterbacks not to be able to step up. He, If you go back and watch Chase Young's sacks, the number of times that Davon Hamilton pushed the pocket and didn't let the quarterback escape, uh, uh, step up in the pocket, and Chase Young ended up wrapped. Racking up the sack, uh, you'll go back and go, oh wow, that was pretty darn impressed by Davon. So he's another guy who, uh, you know, he was like a three-star guy. He was maybe the lowest-ranked guy in that class coming into Ohio State, but he's a guy who I think could have a long NFL career just because of his effort and size and uh, you know production. Frankly,
0: it seems like every seems like every good team has one or two Buckeyes on both both sides sides of the ball, and. We'll definitely keep an eye out for those guys. It seems like, from what you're talking about, they could be mid-round picks, like a like a day two.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if Malik Harrison snuck into the third round, but I also wouldn't be, you know, Davon Hamilton's probably a fifth-round guy right now. I think is where a lot of teams have him pegged. So who knows? Uh, again, like they're they're not necessarily the sexiest uh, picks in the draft, like Okuda and Chase Young are, but. They, they were just guys who had unbelievable careers. And, you know, another guy, I don't know how he's testing, but Jordan Fuller is a guy who I'm pretty sure you've spent time with in the doctor's office coming off a hip injury, if I'm not mistaken. Took Boy, the elevator with him. What? a Jersey them. guy. What?
0: Took, took the elevator with him.
1: Yeah, so you guys are boys. I mean, Jordan (laughs) Fuller's a guy who could be a a starting safety in the NFL. I mean, he was just a rock-solid safety for Ohio State, a great leader, good tackler, and run support, but also played that center field position really well. So I don't think he's going to be quite as impactful as some of the other guys. He's a seventh-round pick, undrafted free agent, tight most likely. But I just think there's so much depth coming out of Ohio State. Uh, I think they had something like 11 dudes at the Combine this year. Um. Really, really impressive. Obviously,
0: it's also just generally speaking. It's everyone loves that you said like the sexy picks of oh we got Chase Young or we grabbed Derek Brown from Auburn or we got you know one of these other guys. But it's the it's those mid round guys who are steady, not sexy picks that are just guys who are productive, and those are the ones that help you win a lot of football games undoubtedly so
1: affordable uh, contracts exactly
0: 100 uh, so are there any prospects worth mentioning i i want to mention a couple quarterbacks Tua. all the medical reports came back really well which was kind of what he was there for i wouldn't be shocked if he goes number two now uh and if it was if burrow didn't have the season he did i think we'd still be talking about two and number one and It seems like I read a Todd McShay mock draft that the Utah State quarterback, uh, Jordan Love, is being mocked in the top 10 now. And when you look at his stats, it's not great. But uh, I think it's really interesting to see as we get closer to to the draft, more and more of these quarterbacks are going to be talked about because so many teams need them. It could be Chase Young could go fifth because some team offers – the Lions, an incredible package that they could go take Justin Herbert.
1: That would be a little bit shocking. But the one thing about quarterbacks is that, you know, it's the one position where you don't necessarily draft on need no. and you don't worry about reaching or not reaching. If you feel like you have your guy, hey, isn't that what uh, your New York football giants did with Daniel Jones last year? Right? Oh, yeah. It's not about whether you could have gotten him five picks later. If you feel like you have your guy, you go get your guy because – as the Packers have shown, as the, you know, the Patriots have shown, and I know those weren't you know, top five, top ten picks, but those are guys that have proven that over the 10, 12, 15 years can give a franchise stability and keep you at the top of the league. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't really matter if you have to go trade everything for them. It's a matter of the value. Not the value you get, but the production
0: you get. Exactly. Uh, are there any other prospects you want to you wanna mention? I gotta quickly shout out Isaiah Wilson, Poly Prep graduate. Seemed like he did well at the combine. Ran pretty well. I uh, think he had good numbers on on the bench press, but re- him. I think he's a mid round guy r- right now. Yeah, he's a fifth. Freak of
1: nature, right?
0: Yeah, <laughs> he's just humongous uh, and can move.
1: The running backs are interesting to me. I, I, I'm curious to see where, speaking of Georgia, DeAndre Swift goes. I'm curious to see where, you know, highly productive guys like Jonathan Taylor and J.K. Dobbins go. You know, I think if Travis, Travis Etienne had declared, I personally think he would have been the first running back taken. Um, you know, it'll be interesting after last year, there was so much talk about D.K. Metcalf, and he wasn't this, like, smooth root runner. Uh, where does guys like the the 6'6 kid from Texas, what's his name, Colin Johnson, like, where does he go? Is someone going to take a chance on him? Because he's more of a deep ball kind of jump ball guy. It, I think there's a lot of really interesting questions. I know I'm bouncing all over the place here, David, but any any thoughts on those?
0: I think that those guys, especially the running backs, is going to be the classic case of teams understand more the positional uh, value of those guys and will take them in the second, third round, and they'll be highly, highly productive. I think swiftly productive. I think Jonathan Taylor, whoever takes him— gets a steal no matter where they get I think he's phenomenal uh but I think it's just the the concept of just like I think some teams aren't going to take a running back in the first round anymore unless it's a yeah. Saquon Barkley Zeke level type prospect and these guys just aren't but whoever takes one of those guys is going to be very very happy um I agree with you especially if you can
1: you know save on uh the contract and, and and you know that kind
0: of thing. Exactly, and and it. I think it's interesting to see because there's a few offensive tackles this year who are really highly regarded. There's a, there's a guy from Iowa, the Alabama guy. Worfs. Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see too because these are everyone kind of criticizes the this, the current CBA that it takes one of the downsides of it with the fewer practices, even though it's great for the player health and safety. It takes offensive alignment a lot longer to develop because they need those practice reps way more than a running back does, and I'll be interested to see how many offensive linemen are taken in the top ten or fifteen and who have super productive rookie seasons playing left That's tackle. A really
1: good question. The other the other kid from uh, Georgia, and yeah. Thomas, is another guy who's who, you know, I know he's not a high school guy of yours, but he's another guy who's projected to go high and. The guy who I think actually might end up with your Giants, I'm curious your thoughts on, is uh, the linebacker slash safety slash jack-of-all-trades from Clemson, Isaiah Simmons.
0: I would love to take him. He ran really well. He tested really well. And most importantly, his film is really good. He actually played really well when it mattered for Clemson the last two, three seasons. And the Giants are just so bad across the board and just are depleted of so much talent just, that just getting a guy like him who you can just put him on the field and he'll just make plays and make the other guys around him better i think would be huge i would love to take him i'm terrified we're going to take Derek brown from auburn not that he's not a good prospect i think but you know how many nose tackles and defensive tackles can a team have and and i get the idea of rotating them in and out but someone's got a guard or cover the wide receiver someone's got to be able to rush the passer someone has got to be able to catch passes like Dave Gettleman I get the like linemen but (laughs) uh trading for Leonard Willis was a mistake we already have Dexter Lawrence from last year and even if Derek Brown is better than Dexter Lawrence it's like well what are we going to do like just don't take a defensive tackle that's all I'm asking
1: <laughs> All right, fair enough. I'll if I run into Dave Gettleman across the street this next couple of weeks, I'll let him know your thoughts.
0: Yeah, well, you, um, you know if if you go to enough it- Italian places to to eat, like uh, bakeries and and you know great restaurants, there's there's a chance because is
1: that where Gettleman hangs out? Is that his mo? Well, hey, if he's hey. taking <laughs> well, well if he's taking
0: these 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 linemen out, you know, he's taking them to places where they can just eat, you know, tons and tons of food.
1: Yeah. Hey, the reasoning sounds sound to me.
0: You know. So, anyway, coach, I appreciate you you coming on. It's great to talk about these prospects. The draft is still a little bit away, so we're gonna get these pro days and maybe see some guys throw, which would be a lot of fun. Uh, get to see Chase Young. I think. I think what they should do is just. You know how they, they have those scientists run the test on like what it's like if you took a charge from Zion it's like getting hit by a jeep at 10 miles an hour <laughs> they should get one of those dummies from dartmouth and basically hook it up so it's like if chase young is running at you and he tackles you what it feels like i think that would be the greatest move that his agent could ever do it's like getting tackled by chase young is like getting hit by a jeep at 20 miles an hour oh like, my god like like yeah, like if, like if that annoying. goes like if that goes viral on twitter i mean it just builds the legend so
1: absolutely
0: so anyway i appreciate it coach enjoy all the college basketball the nba uh and the division three tournament as well uh it should be a lot of fun some great great matches we were talking about before the before the podcast but i'll talk to you soon thanks for coming on
1: my pleasure david always great
0: so that will do it for this episode of the double double take care and make it a great day